Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Faithfully Her. I'm so excited about today's episode because I'm being joined with um, a very special lady. Her name is Miss Crystal Nicole. She is an author and she is a consultant of human thought. She's a consultant of human thought engineering. Um, which is something that I'm more interested in learning about. I'm hoping that you guys are too. And today we're going to be talking about, um, I don't want to say, we're going to be discussing police brutality and how it affects our, our children and their daily lives and what we can do as a community to possibly just move forward in a healthier way. So I'm excited again. Please, everybody, welcome Miss Crystal Nicole. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much again for um, coming on and, and sharing this time with me. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, before we get into it, um, I just would like for you to introduce yourself to our audience or, you know, our listeners, because we do stream on Spotify. Woo! Yay! So, <laughs> so if you could just kind of introduce yourself and let the people know who you are. Absolutely. Um, as you already said, my name is Chris Nicole. Um, I am um, an author. Um, I have a, a book out that is called And Then the Light Bowed. It is available um, via uh, Amazon. Um, and as, again, as you stated, I'm a consultant and I consult on um, human thought engineering. Um, and I am also the, um, the visionary and the founder of the Center of Thought and Intelligence. So that's um, something else that I guess we can touch on and discuss. Okay, well, before we get into our um, main topic, I do kind of want to know more because as I was telling mm -hmm. you, I've never heard of human thought engineering. So I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about what that is and mm -hmm. how it's designed, I guess. Right. Okay, human thought engineering. Um, basically, it is helping people to it's materializing the thought sequence that we as humans have. Um, so basically what that means is taking um, the steps that we go through as humans to come to a decision and materialize that so that we are able to make better decisions. That, that's literally what it is um, summed up. Um, that's, that, that's what we've done at the center. We've actually taken years of research and um, experiences and study and we've now we've quantified, if you will, the um, sequence of thought that, again, as I said, that we all go through, um, but not just the sequence of thought, but the opportunities to re-engineer, if you will, different parts of that sequence so that we are able to make better decisions. We are able to um, be um, more in control of our thought responses as well as our emotional and behavioral responses. Okay, and is there like a certain class of people or, or demographic of people that you guys are specializing your work in right now? No, um, because it, it, okay, to answer the question, no, there is not a certain demographic. Um, however, it is a certain demographic in the way of those that are, consciously ready so so let's say it that way because most times when people say a demographic we're, we're most likely referring to 
a class of people based upon race. Um, but for us, it's the class of people that are consciously ready to okay. actually understand the um, blueprint, if you will, of how we think, what we think, how we respond, but most importantly, how, how to change that and understand that you are 100% in control of changing that. So as far as the you know, societal definition of demographic, no, but the okay. way in which we define it, um, it's just those that are ready. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because with anything, if you're not actively ready to make a change or do something different, then right. it's just the hamster on the wheel. Absolutely. You know, so I can understand that. And it, so um, what got you into that particular field of study? Like, what was that motivation? <laughs> right. The motivation was 22 years of depression and suicidal ideation. Um, and it was, it, it, it was a really interesting journey because somewhere along the line, um, because I didn't go to a therapist, I didn't seek out those kind of um, avenues of help. Um, it was something else. People define it differently. People say it's, you know, your higher self, God, spirit, universe. It's whatever it is that you know, you want to, you know, qualify it as it's that part of me somewhere along the line of those 20, 22 years, it helped switch the experience of depression to where it wasn't just the experiencing of the low moments, but it was a shifting of the perception in those moments to say, what can you learn in these moments? And it's in those classrooms that I call them, those, you know, depressive, you know, classrooms that I really discovered just the vastness of our minds, consciousness. It's, it's this vast sea of opportunity. It's this vast sea of knowledge that's literally just waiting for us to reach out and tap into it. It sounds really cliche, but it literally is that. And so it was in those moments where I would get glimpses of, glimpses of just how powerful the mind is. And if we actually harness that first and operate it from that space first versus the emotion, then the choices and the thoughts and the emotions that we have, it would be that, that we really want to have versus a, a very reactionary uh, quote unquote human-like, if you will, response where we're actually in control, like right. as 100% of what we think, what we feel and what we do, because those are our three defining pillars of our reality, what you think, what you feel and what you do. Mm -hmm. So it, it was in those moments that really helped me to, um, you know, just see clearer just what we're capable of if we take the time to slow down and look at the processes of what it means to be human or what it means to um, have this consciousness that's so vast if we just took the time to, to explore that what what does that mean for our humanity what right. does that mean for the building of our reality as we experience this you know human condition what what literally does that mean 
So that's how I got into that, that field. Okay. And I think that that kind of leads us into the topic at hand today, because it's almost as if um, the certain class of people or the certain race of people, the black community, we're not considered human beings anymore um mm-hmm. or if we were ever really considered human beings but you know you you have that that population that feels that way especially when you look at police the police brutality mm-hmm. and everything that's happening um in the world today uh, it, it it just makes you feel like well why don't they see me as a human why aren't they mm-hmm. thinking of me as a person or you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying like yeah. so um to segue into it (laughs) Um, (laughs) as far as because I know you have done some some work with youth the the teen population so Mm -hmm. as far as that goes what impact um have you discovered whether it's from talking to your teens or anything do you think the police brutality has on their mental stability right now because it has to be hard to be a teenager and you're going to your friend's house and you're, you have to be afraid if the police roll up on you, you know what I'm saying? You can't wear a hoodie. You can't wear dark. It's like, you're, you can't do, what can I do as a teenager without having the fear of the police just attacking me or assuming the worst about me? Correct. Um, okay. So that's a really interesting question because for for me, because I have teenagers, um, but again, I've also worked with teenagers. For me, it's it's how do we as parents help them to understand? Because if we're allowing them simply just to look at it, then we run the risk of allowing them to also process what that means. And because is so many variables and understanding society and how to function out there and how to behave in certain situations that we have to really step our game up as parents. Um, because if we're not having the conversations with our teens, which are very hard conversations, because even talking to my teens, it's, as you said, you know, you can't wear the hoodie or don't wear the hoodie like this. Or the other day, my son wanted to, wanted to buy, you know, those gators where they cover your face, but then they also have the hood, like, like the ski. He wanted that. And I said, no, you, you can't, no, you're not, you're not going to get that. And he said, well, how come? And I said, well, I want you to take a moment and think about all of the things that have been happening surrounding young black men. And just that, you know, ping pong off of his question for him for me to make him do the work in his conscious and critical thinking because I can say don't get that or don't do that all day long but if if we're not making them conscious and introducing them to how to critically think um, when it comes to keeping themselves safe when I'm not around then I think for that particular issue we as parents have to step up. But then there is the, when my sons aren't around me, what do they think? 
for the most part, for my sons and other teens, they have it in their heads, but, and they see what's going on. We've witnessed everything that's going on. We've watched the riots. We've watched this. We, we watched the, you know, um, the case around George Floyd. We watched his, you know, sentencing. I mean, his um, verdict, you know, hearing. We did that and they get it. But to what degree do they get it? I, I really don't know because they still function as though that this is the life that they become accustomed to. So they just adjust accordingly. Now, is that the consensus among all teens? I don't think so. But for the ones that I've come in contact, it's just they have this thought process where I'm not going to live my life afraid. Even at a, my 16 year old, I'm not going to live my life afraid. I'm aware of what's going on and I'm going to do what I need to do to keep myself safe, but I'm not going to live my life afraid. Right. That's literally like, I don't want to say the best, but that's the answer that they're at for the moment. You know, because are they afraid? No. They, I don't pick up fear. I pick up more of anger from them when I talk to them. And I validate the anger. I tell them, not, I never tell them not to be angry. I also think that that's part of us learning how to be emotionally responsible is validate. Mm-hmm. You have the right to be angry. I'm angry too, but what are we going right. to do with the anger? Right, right. Right. So it's, so it's, so it's teaching that. So, yeah. Cause we have to be able to put, and I guess that's where a lot of my worry comes from with everything. Like, can we just make sure that we put that anger, that energy into creating something that makes sense, something that's Absolutely. positive and something that's going to make sense, something that's going right. to make an effective change. Exactly. Not, you know, I, I don't want to see riots in the street, businesses being destroyed, cars being Absolutely. flipped and burned, people being hurt and mm-hmm. gassed and handcuffed. Like, you know, you don't want to see that. You want to mm-hmm. see where collectively can we put that anger into creating something that's going to be a positive step forward for our people and the generations that are set to come you know what I'm saying um yeah my son went out and he was a part of like the protesting in Atlanta for Black Lives Matter and I was so proud of him for actively showing Mm -hmm. up and doing something positive with the hurt and the anger he was experiencing from everything right. he was seeing. And, um, but to, to speak on what you were saying, as far as that mentality of, you know what, this is just the way things are. And I'm not going to live in fear. That's kind of the same thing my son told me when I talked to him about it. He was like, well, mom, mm-hmm. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to go to work every day. I'm going to do everything that I normally do. Absolutely. And I'm not going to give them any reasons but I'm not going to be afraid either. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I get that. And I'm happy that that's the stance. But, you know, as a parent, there's still that little, that that percentage of worry that sits in as like, make sure your seatbelt is on. You know, absolutely. Make sure you're looking both ways before you cross the street. You know, you're Absolutely. Still, 
giving those type of um the, that type of advice to them because mm-hmm. you just want them to be as safe as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. You do. And 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 some of some of our added concern or worry is some some of our added worry comes from us having a a wider range of reference points. They don't, right? They can only respond to what they've been exposed to. Right. We can, for the most part, we've been seeped in the the Rosewood, the Emmett Till, the Rosa Parks. We've been seeped in all the trauma of -hmm. our past. For the most part, they haven't. They're aware, but they're not technically seeped in it like we are and or, you know, so their emotional response and then their thought process towards it is not it's not going to be as intense as ours either. Even though they're seeing all this on TV, the other factor of that is the desensitizing the um desensitizing that happens because they have so much access to violence they have so much access to watch videos of the you know the nine minutes and 19 seconds or however many seconds his knee was on his neck they 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 have the video footage where they can just watch it 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 desensitizes you on a neurological level to where your response is not what it would be for us you understand it's like their their code of exposure is higher than ours. You know, yeah. we can say, oh, I don't want to see that, you know, because we understand that we don't need to see all that. But for them, they, they register it different in this generation. They like, no, I want to see because I, I want to see. And what that what that does, even if it's from a curiosity level or is from a study level, it doesn't matter if you're constantly exposed to it is, and you're not watching it for a purposed reason outside of entertainment, then it's gonna desensitize you. So they can watch it all day long and they won't be phased by it, you know, so. And I don't know how I would feel about being desensitized to it. Cause like with the George Floyd, I didn't watch it for a while. The video that, you know, it, everybody was kind of like posting it. It was all over social right. media. And I kept staying away from it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to see this. I don't want to see this because I just, I know me and exactly. I just didn't want to see it. And then um, I finally broke down. Don't know why I let the pressure get to me. And mm-hmm. I watched that video and I cried for like a week a week straight, I would just be in the car and would just start crying. I would be at work and would just start crying. Like I would just hear him, his voice calling his mama Mm -hmm. in my head and it would just break me down. And I I couldn't hold back my tears. I I was just heartbroken, you know, like it's heartbroken to see. I've never seen anyone 
right. be murdered before. You know what I'm saying? So right. to see that, it it just, it took a lot out of me. I had to come off of social media for a couple of weeks and I had to get myself together. I was giving myself pep talks every day. Like yeah. I was stalking my son, like calling him several <laughs> times a day. Yeah. He didn't pick up the phone. I would call his dad. Have you talked to him? And he's like, uh, he's probably at work. And I'm thinking like, oh yeah, he do have a job. You know right. what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but I was just so, I just wanted to make sure every minute of the day that he was okay. And right. I can remember he got into a car accident and he called me and I was like, are you okay? You know, of course, that's the first thing you ask. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like, did the police come? Did they hand, like, what was right. their reaction? What was that? Now that I know you're physically okay, what was right. that interaction with them? Was it safe? Were you okay? Was it in the lighted area? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like all of these questions. And he's just like, no, my, it was fine. They just came, they wrote it up, gave me, you know what I'm saying? I'm a file insurance claim. Everything is good. Right. He was so casual with it. Right. I was literally pulling my hair out, you know, exactly. I was so nervous. And exactly. I just called his dad and was like, you have to get to that scene right now. Like the police are there. You have to show up. Exactly. Just so he won't be alone exactly. in whatever happens. He's not alone. Exactly. And I don't know if it's just me or is that a consensus of parental feelings? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I think that would be a really interesting study to actually conduct um, to you know, for black women, um, excuse me, for um, black mothers is, 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 is just to, you know, you know, do, do that, you know, quick survey, you know, really quick. And I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that that is a consensus amongst us as black mothers, because I'm the same way, like, I'm fearful of my son to start driving. I literally am. But at the same time, I have to weigh his independence against my fears. Yeah. It's like, so do I allow my fears to, to override his need to be independent? And you understand? So that, mm-hmm. so that is, there is so much. And, and I was, I was, I said this to you, but, you know, before this is there's so, there's so many layers to, to this discussion, because all of what you were just, um describing is like the anxiety that was created by the increase of what we're seeing in the the police brutality and the police killing so now what that subsequently does for black parents is it creates this anxiety it creates this you know automatic trigger of when i haven't heard from you know my son it automatically goes to the worst. And for, for us to be in that cycle of fear and worry and anxiety, it literally, on a physical level, it sets us up for health issues. You know, so this that we experience is much bigger than just us being angry or us being, this, this literally is a whole person you know, effects. Yeah. Psychologically, mentally, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically. I mean, it it just affects us on so many different levels. And it's, it's rough. It's rough because even though we have the, you know, we're, 
wherewithal to say, you know, I'm going on a social media, you know, um, detox where we're not on social media for, you know, two or three weeks. This generation doesn't do that. Right. It's, it, it, it's like, it's there. It's, that's it's another survival. conversation. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as parents, um, what age do you think we should really have that conversation with our kids to say, this is America and these are the, the things we have to be cautious of when living Black in America? Um, I believe that's that's person specific and I'm gonna say because um I have um, a niece and nephew they're five and six my sister has not had that conversation um and it's not a necessary conversation to have at this moment um furthermore she's she's the parent um and I applaud her for this all the time that she she really monitors their electronics they don't have electronics because even at that age now you will see children five and six with cell phones with tablets with this with not nope not my niece and my nephew they don't even get it they don't they don't even watch tv they have they watch tv once or twice a week for an hour it's like she she's really like hands-on with them to make sure that she's cultivating them and not letting social media do raise them yeah Yeah, exactly so again I believe that's that question I believe it's person specific if okay somebody like myself and you where we have teens we have to have the conversation um if your child is in school and they're exposed to that conversation and they're eight and they come home and they ask you well mom on tv I heard so then you have to have the conversation so again it really just depends um but whatever the situation is whatever the age I am not a believer in not ever answering a question I believe that you need to answer it age appropriately Mm -hmm. um and at their level so that they so that that curiosity as to why they're asking you is fulfilled Otherwise, they're going to keep searching. By nature, we are curious creatures, and that's how we learn. Right. So I, I believe at whatever age that that they ask it, it it needs to be addressed on their level. Yeah, and I get that because you know you, you don't want to do it too early, and they don't really understand anyway exactly. what you're talking about. And then you don't want to do it too late to where it's like, why didn't I prepare? them exactly so mm-hmm. um I know for me with uh Trey I want to say it was probably somewhere between 10 and 12 mm-hmm. where we had to sit down and have a multitude of conversations <laughs> because Correct. he's a young man he's growing and things mm-hmm. are changing so uh, we had to have those conversations and that was one of them mm-hmm. you know um the police are not, you, you know, I know we, we learn in school and you have all these great little workbooks that show the police <laughs> as your friend. And, and I had, and I wanted him to know, like, yes, there are some very good cops out there that you can go to that will help you. 
they had, you know, they got your back, but right. there is a select group of cops Absolutely. that don't care about you and they will hunt you, you know what Absolutely. I'm saying? So, Absolutely. You, you know, you have to make sure that you as the individual mm-hmm. are upstanding and that you're doing what you're supposed to do and that you mm-hmm. never let it be in an unlit place. You know, you, right. you want it to be in a lighted area you you want you know the first thing you do as soon as you see the lights call me put me on mm-hmm. speakerphone you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying like those type of things so you're not 100 alone in those situations absolutely and things of that nature and then as he grew and he got his driver's license the talk got more and more intense and you know we had to delve into it I think I made him sit and watch Roots with me <laughs> so he could understand. <laughs> like yeah. I would make him watch those type of movies with me so he could just understand history. This is, yeah. you know, this is who we are as a, a culture of, of Black Americans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want you to understand the journey that we have taken and the the people who have come before you that have sacrificed and put their lives on the line so you can have these mm-hmm. types of freedoms you know they didn't just they wasn't born with them they didn't just come easy this was a fight this was a mm-hmm. struggle so be appreciative of the things that you do have in life and so forth right. um so yeah we we've had those conversations so I know you were talking um you you mentioned something about it would be a great study to do for the parent black black mothers so trauma and PTSD because sometimes I think I like even watching the trial for George Floyd and hearing the verdict like I was happy for the verdict but a part of me is still a little and I don't want to say traumatized but I feel like that Mm-hmm. Because even if the police, I got stopped by the police um, and they were looking for a car that looked like mine. When I tell you those five cops that pulled me over, I almost went on myself in the car. I was so nervous because I'm like, I didn't do anything. My license is good. It's sure, like I'm running down the list in my of head course. with mm-hmm. my hands in plain sight. And I'm like, Lord, please don't let them kill me today. You know that like, and I was so serious. And oh, yeah they approached the car and they said, oh, we're just going to check your car because it matches the description of a car we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And he took my license and everything. And I'm like, please don't let this turn out to be a bad situation. You know, mm-hmm. like I at least want to be able to tell my son, I love him before it's all over. You, you, right. This, though, but those anxieties and now everything. Exactly. A cop car gets behind me. I freeze up. I go straight to 10 and 2. I turn the radio yeah. down. I stop singing the song, you know, and it's crazy. So how can we work past that trauma? <laughs> how do we get past that? Again, again, your your questions are so amazing because, <laughs> <laughs> because they are so multi-layered, you know, um, and and it's really questions um where the variables to that answer is really inclusive of a lot of people right it's inclusive of um us it's inclusive of lawmakers it's inclusive of police men and women you know and and it's it just and it's it's really inclusive because what we are experiencing 
from the PTSD, um, from and, and all the anxiety induced responses, those those are a result of we didn't create that. You, you understand the variables created that. Yeah. What 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 we're feeling is the result of like one plus one is two. We're the two. The one in the 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 one in the one is the politicians and the and the police, the the ones that perpetrate that kind of behavior and mm-hmm. you know execute those kind of um, you know actions. So to answer your question, um, it's not really an easy answer to be absolutely honest, um, because we're not the creators of the problem. And in order to come to a solution, the creators of the problem have to be present to create the solution. Because even if I gave you a solution into how not to experience the anxiety that you feel, because I could, I could give you a solution to say, you could feel it, but don't let it control you. I could, you can feel it, but but just don't become it. You know, all of those things, I, I, I could give you those, but they're still present because the creators aren't a part of the solution. So it's kind of like one-sided. Like we could do everything that we need to do, but if the creators of the problem aren't involved, then it's never going to go away. Yeah. I, I could say move to a predominantly black neighborhood or move to um somewhere where the crime rate is low or move somewhere out the country or i can say all of these things but the emotional and the neurological responses is going to be the same if the creators of the problem aren't part of the solution now one of the things that i said probably would help a great deal um, and would put the responsibility of um, of solution primarily in our court, which would be moved out the country, right? If we moved out of the country, then we understand, but for a good part of it, we understand that laws are different. You know, politicians are different. Um, the way in which perpetrators are dealt with are different outside of America, right? So so if <clears throat> someone moved out of the country, um, then a great deal of that equation is taken away, which is the American politicians, the American um, police you know, force. Yes, politicians are still present. Yes, police is still present also in other countries, but what would begin to alleviate that would be the experiences that you have in that country. The more you have the experiences that's opposite of what you have here in America, then that anxiety begins to alleviate itself because you're not getting the same responses. You're gonna have politicians, you're gonna have police, but what are the interactions that you're having? So if you have a more favorable and pleasant whatever interaction outside of the country, then that means that your anxiety responses is gonna begin to go down and even alleviate itself. Yeah. But as long as we're in the space 
where the variables are the same, then all of the work that we may do for self to not experience that anxiety or that fear, it's, it's still, it's still going to be there. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, when I think about it and I think back, I didn't have these type of anxieties or um, fearful thoughts of the police when I was younger growing up. You know, mm-hmm. we, exactly. had, um, we had police officers uh, that patrolled our neighborhood mm-hmm. and they were like part of the family. They mm-hmm. were at the, the the neighborhood block parties and, and cookouts and they knew the parents, you know, they mm-hmm. knew us, you know, and mm-hmm. they would drive up and stop and hey how was school today and okay don't let your mama catch you out here you know she exactly you. you know little stuff like that so it wasn't a fear of the police until mm-hmm. it seemed like I got older and absolutely it's like, and like you said social media I didn't know what was happening in other places in around the world I didn't know that you know this was happening in Brooklyn or that was happening in Baltimore and so forth I only knew about my exactly my -hmm. little corners you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying that's all I knew so and there was no fear for me you know we had police officers in high school that we knew who were you know friendly and Mm -hmm. yeah we knew they'd get you but you know we go through the metal detector so we understood what was happening but it wasn't something that was affecting me personally Mm -hmm. to where it created a fear or an anxiety and True. even though George Floyd is not personal, as far as I know him, there's a relation um, there or anything. It just felt so personal. Exactly. And I don't know what made that change. And mm-hmm. only thing I can say is social media because social media opened us up to the world Absolutely. and it opened us up to neighborhoods and communities that we knew nothing about before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's, it's, it's the social media that's constantly showing the pain of that and how much is happening outside of where we live in our little corner of the world or mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. I mean, it's, I thought about that same thing too with George Floyd, like I didn't watch the video. To this day, I have not watched the video. Um, and I will not watch the video. Yeah, don't do it to um, um, The little... It, are you familiar with the case? Um, this was some months ago. This little boy in New York. Um, his name was Junior. And I think he was 15. And he was... Um, it was a mistaken identity... Um, and basically a, a gang killed him on the sidewalk. They, oh, wow. they like stabbed him to death, like on a sidewalk. And I could not watch that. And I, to this day, can't watch that. But what happened was I caught a glimpse. I caught an audio piece of it. And to this day, it's like, I can't get it. it, it it's like, once it enters those gates, once mm-hmm. you see it, once you hear it, it's, it's there, you know? Um, and to this day, I believe that that is the only form of violence that one of my sons have witnessed that affected him. 
he, I mean, it literally broke him down to tears. I mean, and he's, he's seen the George Floyd, he's seen other things happen, but that particular one really, it did something to him. And that, and I use that as an example to him where you have to monitor what, what you're watching because watching is one thing, but then you have to deal with the reaction that happens with yourself from watching. Mm-hmm. And again, because it's such an influx of information and stimulus. And if we're, if we're not coming behind them and teaching them how to regulate that, all we're technically doing in essence is like letting time bombs just happen. Because yeah. at some point that nonchalantness or that desensitizing something's going to happen where it triggers everything that they've seen mm-hmm. so if so if we're not helping them to again regulate and verbalize through that process of what they're feeling it's like we're creating a bigger problem we're yeah. we're creating that groundwork for them to stay angry and it explodes in the wrong situation oh yeah so no I told him I get that I understand that because I talk to my son like that all the time like so how are you feeling yeah you know what are your thoughts did you see this oh so what did you Mm -hmm. think how did you know how did it affect you I'm always asking him that like I just asked him the other day (laughs) like are you traumatized Mm -hmm. by anything did I screw you up as a kid do you need some (laughs) therapy like I will pay for it like you know what I'm saying (laughs) I ask him exactly and he kind of laugh at me now and he'll say, you know, raising you was a tough job. And I'm like, I right. know, but I'm here to pay for your therapy, you know, right. so, <laughs> because I want him to, to be able to identify his feelings. Yeah. I don't want him to shove them down. And like you said, something triggers it and it's a bomb that mm-hmm. goes off. So I want him to be able to say like, this is how I felt with this. And this disturbed me or, you know, this exactly. angered me and so forth and be able to identify that and then verbalize that feeling. Absolutely. So we can work through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't want yeah. the bomb to go off and then it's a bad situation. And, you know, so, yeah, I'd rather for him to deal with it up front and assess Absolutely. It. You know, mm-hmm. and if you need to sit with it for a day or two, sit with it. But then we still need to talk about that. We still need to verbalize it. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So um, going a little bit further into this, um, I was reading an article all about the police brutality and, you know, on minorities and so forth. And I came across an article in Counseling Today by Tommy and her last name starts with the P. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, so okay. and I think her first name is pronounced Tommy. Okay. Um, but she it would the article goes on to say how there is limited mental health um accessible accessible to people of color or minorities. So we're talking our Latin brothers and sisters and so forth. And 50% of those people. Um, 50% of those incarcerated actually have a mental health diagnosis. So it got me to thinking about um, 
another article that I had wrote, I read, and it was written in October, 2020 by Alice Wolf, I think is how you pronounce her name. And her article was talking about a guy named Stephen Taylor, who was a young man who had mental health issues and he was killed by the police in a Walmart store. So, you know, he had a mental breakdown that day and he was in Walmart and he was walking around with a baseball bat. They called the police, the police came in and they shot and killed him. And I was just thinking like, you know, when it comes to our younger people with mental health issues, how do we protect them in the community? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like um, I work in mental health and one of the things that is the credo is to make sure that they keep their dignity and they keep their self-respect and they, you know, they're able to function in, in society or, you know, go to stores and do anything that we do without having to deal with the stigma of their mental health issue. Mm -hmm. But in that instance where a person may be off of their medication, um, maybe they maybe they heard or saw something that triggered that that emotion for that breakdown how do we protect them against the police like do we put social workers out in place what what can we do as a community in short of putting a sign around their neck saying i have a mental health issue you know like what can we do to protect them what are what are your thoughts on that yeah um again it's such a packed, <laughs> such a packed question, um, because it's 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 variables that's in place, right? It's the person that's experiencing um, the mental health episode. Then there's the police. Then there is the um, the the place in which they're having this episode. If they're in, if they're in a store and you know it was just the case where the guy was at home well he was on his front lawn and he had the fork or something oh my god yeah. what and you know and they so it's just like so whether you're at home and you want to just be able to know that if i live with someone with a mental health diagnosis Mm -hmm. And this day they're having a mental breakdown or something mm -hmm. is happening and I call 911 for help. I want to know that 911 is going to come and help and not shoot. Yeah. So again, maybe it's because when you call the police, that's like the end result, right? It's like the result of because something has happened. So right. it's the result of, right? So Maybe it's something with those variables before. Maybe, you know, how people wear the bracelets that they have some kind of medical condition. Maybe yeah. they have to wear, maybe not, I don't want to say have to, but they wear those bracelets. Or, or when you're calling 911, um, make it so that the um, 911 operator asks, do you know if they have any medical, mental, you know, conditions? I mean, it, there, there is, it, it has to be some kind of firewalls that's there before the police arrive. And I am a fan of having social workers with police um, to de-escalate um, those situations. Because again, 
to be fair, when a police officer arrives, it's what are they trained to do? Because they're the result of, right? right. Somebody feels threatened. Something is happening to a, a level that law enforcement needs to be called. So right. when they're there on the way and they get the information from the 911 operator, they're already responding internally. They're already you know, getting themselves ready to handle this situation based upon what the operator has told them. Right. Right. So it has to be something done in those steps before that prompts the officer to know that this is a mental health case, not a 100% genuine threat case. You know, and then by having social workers with police officers, that should help the situations where where it's somebody that's experiencing those kind of episodes that they get the attention that they need and not get a bullet for it. You know, Um, I think the bracelets would possibly be a really great idea because it's something visible. It's something visible that a police officer can see and again they they can see it right but then I also think there's some kind of training or something that needs to be done with 911 um operators and then and this is just a thought that's just you know if the same way oh okay it's just for this is just for this answer the mm-hmm. same way that when you have a certain kind of um, felony on your record, when they pull your name up, something mm-hmm. should come up when they, you know, pull your name up. That yeah. this is what you're experiencing. Again, I do not know. Let me put it out there. I don't know all the ins and outs of what goes on from the time a call is made to the time that a police officer arrives. Um outside of what we normally see the 911 operator and then the police arrives and then there also needs to be data sharing between the ems and the police officers because maybe the ems can it it just needs to be right that that transparency across the board it does yeah it does and you know i have a cousin who i think she's a supervisor for 911 um here and I, I tried to get in touch with her but you know she's busy she works but maybe I could make her sit down for an hour and talk to us about that yeah <laughs> and give us some insight into what happens in 9 in that world and how the exactly. messages are being sent out and mm-hmm. maybe like you said there can be something that's stated you know one of the questions can be it do is there any no mental health issues exactly. that we should be aware of so that way at that time we can say okay well maybe we need to dispatch a so- social worker as well as a police officer right. to the scene so there's somebody there that is trained on de-escalation exactly and knows how to de-escalate those cases and you know mm-hmm. help talk that person back down I Absolutely. can um I know when I was working um, as a mental health social worker and I would get calls from my clients who were on the edge, you know, um, dealing with their sobriety or whatever. And I would get up and I would talk them down or, or go to where they were to try to bring them back down from that place to, so they didn't put that needle in their arm 
mm-hmm. they didn't take that drink. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we can have something like that out in place. I think it would help. And I think we could save a lot of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as far as like our prison system goes for those, that 50% that's incarcerated with mental health issues, I think we could take a closer look at that and say, well, maybe all of these people didn't need to be locked up. They just needed Absolutely. metal, you know, medical yeah. services mm-hmm. where maybe, you know, we can put them in a facility that's a hospital type facility for amount of months, get them on the right medication regimen, watch them, get them into some, some therapeutic services as well, and maybe make it a condition to say, okay, you have to maintain services with this entity or this clinic or this organization to keep you from being incarcerated you you mm-hmm. see what i'm saying like there has to be something else we can do besides just Absolutely. locking everybody up you, you know like that yeah. cannot be the answer because even when these people are being released are they being released any better than they were when they went in or, or did we do more damage by just locking them up correct you know i think we, we get human nature or, mm-hmm. or, you know, human, like, I think we just lost it somewhere along the way. I yeah. just wish we could get it back. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. A little human Understood. love and kindness. Mm-hmm. Now, I know when we were talking and you were saying, um, you know, the, the people in power, when it comes to the political, the, the people in power also have to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So... When we look at systematic racism, how can we, (sighs) (laughs) I don't even know how to answer that question because it's just like an exhausting thought. Like, what do we do? What do we do with systematic racism? On, On this side of the fence, not being a person in power, not being political or anything, how do little old me <laughs> help affect change well you could you could run for office on the local level um you could at least the you could organize a block club because at the end of the day right at at, at the end of the day the people have power I don't want to say have the power, but they have power because it's it's the masses who gets the attention. So if 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 there's a collective of people that are saying the same thing, then it's those collective of people that will be heard. Right? Now, how long will they be heard? I don't know. You know, because as you as, as you've already said, systematic racism is such an exhausting um, topic because of the of the word itself. You know, you know, it's systematic. It's a it's a system. There's layers mm-hmm. upon layers that those that created it created for a, a specific purpose, and those that are now part of it are upholding that, and because there is a lineage benefit so Mm -hmm. what does that mean does that mean systematic racism will can it be alleviated to be absolutely honest I do not even waste my thought process to even think that way because 
that means that there would have to be, in order to combat that, there would have to be a consistent showing of solidarity amongst minorities consistently. Yeah. There, it has to be that consistent showing of solidarity across the board all the time to, to send the message that this is what's happening. Yeah. But because that has not happened, um, Lost we can see. still exists. It still, it still exists. Yeah. It's sti- it, it, it still exists. I mean, we even... We even can see it from from the onset of the um, George Floyd incident, where they begin to give us little nuggets. Well, we'll paint Black Lives Matter on the street, or we'll change the street sign to mm-hmm. this. And for the most part, the thought behind that is give them a little bit of something, and they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And the pattern has shown that that's correct give us a little bit of something and we're fine but now that's kind of not the case and that's why I feel that the verdict for you know that officer was what it was because there was no way they was going to risk having a not a not guilty verdict in this climate because from the time George Floyd situation started, there has there has been a consistent showing of solidarity. Now, has it been an intense high level? No, it hasn't. But just the showing of the consistent solidarity, for, not just here, but all over the world, right? For this, not just this case, this. This particular case may have been like the springboard for it all. Actually, Amar Aubrey was. Amar Aubrey was that springboard. Yeah. And then shortly after George Floyd situation happened, and we were like, oh, you know, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. And, <laughs> right. and that is. And then that, the Breonna Taylor situation. And then the Breonna Taylor. That, oh. And then there's, there's other things. And then we're so exhausted with it. We're so exhausted. Like the other day, my son said, what was the name of? the boy that got something, I was like, you know what? And I caught myself and I caught myself for, from answering and I caught myself from being angry because my thought was, it's so many, it's so many, I can't even remember which one you're talking about now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, the, the young brother that was, that was killed and rolled up in the gym mat, you know what I'm saying? The, yeah. the little girl that was just found 16 year old hanging from the tree. It's like, what? It's like this, 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 this is too much. It's too much. And, and we're tired. And I think that the powers that be, because the solidarity has been there, it's let's continue to give them something, but what they're failing to see, it's not, you. it's not about what you're giving us, it's about what you're giving up. And until they understand that they have to give up some things, I don't think really anything will change for on a permanent level. Right. They have to give yeah. up. It's not us. We 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 can't again, we we didn't create the problem. Right. We right. we can't fix racism because we didn't create racism. 
That's true. And, you know, you said something and it made me think like the pacifier. They do. Yeah. It, 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 it's a pacifier. They, they give us the pacifier and we quiet down. Yeah. And we calm down a little bit. And then years of things happen and then we have to raise that voice again and again they put the pacifier back in yep so um and and I hate thinking of it that way but that's exactly Mm -hmm. you know like you said that's exactly kind of like what they're they're doing and and I thought that thought about the verdict Mm -hmm. like oh it's a guilty verdict because a non-guilty verdict is going to be bananas you know it's going to be insane in the street yep so, but, you know, and then now they have the talk of what the, the sentencing is going to be, if he's going to get the full amount of time or not. And, you know, exactly. so, and that's something else we have to look out for because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was brought up once before. I can't think of what I was watching it on, but they were talking about how sentencing laws are different, how a white man and a black man can commit the same crime, but the black Absolutely. man will get more time than the white man get. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Louisiana, the laws that were created in the state of Louisiana hundreds of centuries ago mm-hmm. were created and designed to keep black people enslaved. Exactly. And those laws are still in place. Like they, they haven't, changed them altered them amended them or any you know they're they're still there Mm -hmm. and it's all designed to keep us in a place Mm -hmm. where quote unquote their foot is on our neck you know it 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 keeps us designed it's designed that way exactly it's really sad because it's like what do we do to break these chains you know and We could come up with all kind of, like you stated, we could come up with so many different solutions, but if the powers that be are not willing to be at that table and hear those solutions and um, implement Mm -hmm. some of those things, then we're going to always be raising our voices, pacified, raising our voices and pacified. Absolutely. It's sad. It makes me want to cry because I'm like, what? You, you know, you just feel like, what what do you do? I'm at the end of the rope and there's no more rope left. And now what do I do? Exactly. Exactly. That, that and you know what, that, that is a great question. Um, because I think, I think we, we, we all may have thought that at, at one point in time. And because I know I have, and then I have to look at my son's you know, and and take a take a page out of their book is you just, you just have to keep living. You know, it's like, and the way in which I make change on a personal level is the way that that I make change on a personal level because until again, if we sit and think all day, like how do I fix this? You'll be thinking until you transition because there because that's only a very small part of the equation to to fix it is I can change how I behave I can change how I drive I can change all of these things and as we've witnessed you can do everything right and you will still you still run the risk of not coming home right Right. And I could, 
So I'm a TV buff. Okay. Um, so I can remember I was watching the episode of A Different World. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the episode where Dwayne and Ryan got into it with the white boys from another college. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, how he he has his engineering degree and he he's a strong black man and this and that. But at the end of the day, all they see is a black man. Yeah, you know, they yep. don't see the hard work that you put into and everything that you've done to to get your education and to create a positive space. Like for me and for my son, I always said, I just want him to be a productive and positive male in mm-hmm. this world. Mm-hmm. I want him to, you know, to be, to have his education and to just be a positive, productive individual. Mm-hmm. And I see that that's what he he's becoming and, and he's doing positive and he's productive and he works hours on top of hours, you know, like when our day ends, he's still working. And so, mm-hmm. so he's being that positive, productive person, but all they see in him is a black person and they yeah. don't see that he's educated and how hard he worked and the things that he he's doing with his life and how he's trying to be a benefit to other people like they don't see the goodness and they don't see his heart they don't see him as a human being yeah. they just see a black person and it's nothing we could do to run from that you know it's nothing nothing i mean we we, we literally had examples you know of this um and it, and, it, and it's not hidden examples these are public you know publicized examples like the um, the white team i can't think of his name right now but he sh- he shot he did um he on a rampage shooting and killing people and they took him to burger king because he was hungry now right. you know what i'm saying it's like is 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 that is that kind of stuff like yeah, that yeah and then here it is you have tomorrow rice playing mm. on his front lawn with a toy gun and you shoot him as soon as you get out of the car right. See, it's like and he was how old was he 11 12 young it's like come on the scales it's of like, justice do not balance at all they the don't scales of justice are nowhere near balance it's and when you talk about it and when you and when you, you know, you actually sit with what comes up when you talk about it, it's like, we have every right to be pissed off. We have every right, like, to be, like, angry. And even when we talk, you know, talk about, you know, Black women, like the angry Black woman, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. We are because... I shouldn't have to worry about my, you know, my sons leaving out, already yeah. coming home. I, I shouldn't be sim- simply because of what they look like, not right. something that they've done, simply because of what they look like. Yeah, I had a, um, a you know, a work situation like that with a white woman mm-hmm. who. Mm-hmm didn't see my education. She didn't see my skill set. She didn't see my abilities um, or anything like that. She just saw my skin. And Mm -hmm. every time we had an interaction, it was me not being the angry black woman. So it Mm -hmm. it was me keeping my mouth shut and 
whole maintaining that dignity because you know you need your job you know what I'm saying right. so you know and my whole thing was if I keep putting the best foot forward if I maintain my cool they won't have a reason and this lady always was poking and prodding and trying yeah. to get that reason you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. she wanted it from the texture of hair to um anything that she could think of she would come at me with because she just did not want to see see me for more than the color of my skin and it just kind of really gets frustrating and I know it's a lot of people that deal with it in their business lives as well as you know our black men on the street where it Mm -hmm. is coming from so many different angles it's a surprise we haven't snapped sooner. (laughs) You're right. As a community, it's so surprising that we just have not picked up our pitchforks and snapped a whole lot sooner. And you know what? That, that is, I don't know how much time we got left. Um, because I, I I am (laughs) respectful of time, but that is because of the programming. There's a subconscious programming that prevents us doing it it's just some subconscious programming that has stopped and it's a generational it's literally down to like our dna why that hasn't happened and there's a reason why white people continue to do the things it's not because it's not just because of the laws it's it's a teaching that has happened over hundreds of years that you can do this and you will be fine there's a teaching for us that you can try to do this, but this is mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Right. Right. So, e- so, so even though we know that there needs to be some kind of an, an uprising that needs to happen, it won't happen like it needs to. Yeah. And, 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 and what that means is, Every time I say that, I think about Haiti. What happened, you know, they had this that. Now, the funny part is, I believe that the powers that be are thinking along those lines. And again, that's why that verdict was a guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But until we, as a Black community, really click with each other. See, but even that is a subconscious programming. Because in order for me to click with you, and you click with somebody else on a consistent level to get things done and get things built, I have to trust you. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, our ability to trust each other has been severely broken. Yeah. It's been nearly severed. Yeah. So it's, so a lot of what we're experiencing is because of what we've been through and what we've experienced from a traumatic level. Mm-hmm. But it's also because that teaching of what we once were prior to slavery is not nearly as strong as the slavery teaching. Yeah. Consistently telling somebody that they was slaves held against their will for X amount of years what do you think that translates to to our newer generation? Right. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. if you have nothing that matches that, teach about Mansa, Mu- about Mansa Musa, teach about Queen Nzinga, 
teach about all these other prominent black people that once ruled and that was the richest in the land so that we can see that we weren't just slaves. We were royalty. Right. But because that doesn't happen subconsciously, we're always bound until we begin to see something different. And that's why now we have the representation matter movement happening. Yeah. So it, it, it's, that's why I say it's so complex. Like the issue is so complex that it's not just one thing. But if we yeah. consistently keep pulling that thread, we'll get there. But we have to hold the thread to keep pulling it. We'll hold it, pull it, drop it, hold it. Yeah. You yeah. won't get nowhere. Right. And, and you're right. Consistency does matter. A consistent, strong force. Um, and that's kind of probably what really helped with the civil rights movement. He, Martin Luther King Jr. was consistent. You know, if he had to go to jail, he didn't care. He was consistent in consistent. the fight. And the, the team he had with him was consistent in the fight. And when you see those things that were effective, that made those big changes, it was because people were consistent. They stayed in that fight. They didn't care about dogs, water hoses, this or that. They still showed up the next day and the right. day after and the day after. They remain consistent. So consistency does matter, you know, um, even when... I remember when they were doing the social media thing where no one buys gas on Tuesday or whatever, but that only happened for a little bit of time. And then how many people really didn't buy gas? You know what I'm saying? Like how many people yeah. were really not going to Walmart on Wednesdays or not doing this or that and made it a consistent thing that happened every week or every month, whatever the plan is. But it kind of fell off and you didn't hear about it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And when you have things like that in place, it's, it's just, it's just um, the way that he, humans work. If you're going to take something or remove something, you have to put something in its place. So for movements like that to consistently be successful, we can say don't buy gas here, but go buy gas at this Black-owned gas station. You see, yeah. so that's how we remove the hand that's offending us, but also encourage our community and help our right. own community to thrive. So you can't just take, you, 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 because human nature doesn't work that way. Because mm -hmm. if you don't put something in this place, human nature is going to see that there is a lack and there is something that's missing. And it's going to go back to what you just removed because there's mm -hmm. nothing in this place. Right, right. No, that makes sense. No. <laughs> it's like, what else do you say? Well, oh my God, what do we, you? because like you stated, we could talk about this until the cows come home. Right. And we'll still, once they get home, we'll still be saying, so now what do we do? You know, now what do we do? exactly. So we'll still be asking the question because, you know, as you stated, there isn't one solution is mm -hmm. multiple layers and variables to this matter. But I want us to be able to talk about it because maybe Absolutely. we can reach, you know, just one person, you know, um, maybe one person to hear this today and say, you know what? 
let me see what I can do in my community. Maybe they right. will start a block club. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Or something. And that is at least one step closer Absolutely. to the, the long road we have ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on. So you're welcome. Being human thought engineer. Yeah. <laughs> what thought can you leave us with? today to help encourage us even if it's just for the week (laughs) even if it's just for the week what what I will say um is get in touch with yourself learn more about you learn more about what makes you function honor yourself honor those things that you've been saying to yourself that you want to do, do those things, things that you say that you no longer want to do, learn how not to do them. Because it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to do something. That's very easy to say, but you have to learn how not to do it. Just like you learn to do something, have learned how not to do it. You know, it's, and be good to yourself, grant yourself some grace because everybody is trying everybody is learning, everybody is figuring out something. Everybody is students in this, this human experience. Yeah. Everybody is learning. So just be patient with yourself um, and just grant yourself some grace. Learn how to rest, Lord. Learn how to rest. Learn the gift of resting and not view it as lazy, not view it as, but, but just view, view it simply as giving yourself, yourself something that's needed, is rest. Learn how to rest, not just your body, but your mind. Learn how to turn your mind down and not think and just be. And if you don't know how to just be, look at nature, nature just is. It just mm-hmm. does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't think about it. And I understand people are like, well, it's not human. I understand, but the principle is the same. It is what it is. And because it does what it does, we get everything that we need. It's the yeah. exact same principles for us. Just honor who you are. If you don't know who you are, <laughs> then start the road to discovery. Yeah. Well, for anyone who want to learn more about your clinic, um, maybe even come in for services or anything, how would they be able to contact? They can reach me on Facebook. I am on Facebook at Crystal Nicole. They can find me there. They can find me on um, Instagram as well and Crystal Nicole. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you stated at the beginning that you do have a book out. It's on Amazon right now. And the name of that book is And Then the Light Bowed. It is. Yes. Okay. And just a little bit. T- tell <laughs> me what this is about. Okay. And Then the Light Bowed is the anthology. It's a collection of self-reflective thoughts. Some of these thoughts I have been gathering um, for years. A lot of these self-reflective thoughts are 
were were written during my time of depression. So a lot of them are me talking to myself. But then there's also further uh, explanation or expansion on those thoughts from the crystal I am now. Okay. So it's a it's a reflective, you know, piece that's written. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Well, I will be uh, purchasing your book. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to do that today when we get off the line. So, okay. <laughs> um, I'm all about trying to support and help, you know, others. And yeah. then if, and especially if it's something that can help me, because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, we have a lot of um, parallel thoughts mm-hmm. with other people and we think that it's just us. And then you find mm-hmm. out someone else felt that way too and it's, it could be like a sigh of relief like oh it's not just me out here you know absolutely so, um mm-hmm. I would definitely be doing that anything else new and exciting going on with you that you might want to share that we can take part in um not not yet but if you but I have your contact information and I can shoot it to you um I know that the um the center itself will be opening in the spring of 2022 but there were okay. there will be um different lectures and different teachings and different things going on prior to that so once all of that is finalized I can I can get that to you well I would love to have you back on when it's ready to open maybe by then I'll be mobile I could do like you know a grand opening thing or something. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, God is moving in mysterious ways. So we don't know what the future holds, but I'm excited for it. Absolutely. <laughs> but thank you so much again for coming on and You're having welcome. this hard conversation with me mm-hmm. and, you know, letting me know that my dysfunction is not alone. <laughs> <laughs> try to end with you know some type of laugh I like to laugh throughout because it's such a serious matter that you know you have to find something to laugh about because you're crying all day you know absolutely you're absolutely correct but thank you for having me I really appreciate it no thank you again I am really happy that we got the chance to do this and hopefully we'll be able to sit down and do this again and, you know, whether it's this topic or another topic, like I said, the opening of your center, I would love to be a part of that as well. And okay. um, to everybody that joined us today, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to Faithfully Her. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave comments. Um, if you you have comments on the topic today, you can reach me at faithfullyher at gmail.com. Um, I'm also available on Facebook as well as Instagram, Faithfully Her. And um, as always, I love you guys. Have a blessed week in Christ. Keep your heads up. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye, Crystal. Bye.